media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated this morning, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I did forget to share with you one prayer request I want to share with you this morning. Uh, usually Richard uh, is right over here and, and with Miss Colleen. And uh, uh, she's not here this morning. She's actually in Alaska. And I think there's 14 different ladies that have gone out to a remote place in Alaska to share the gospel and to minister to that family. So uh, keep them in your prayers. She left this past week and will be there, I think, for about a week or so. And so uh, keep Miss Colleen in your prayers and those ladies as they go out. And to, uh, uh, it's a place that you can only kind of get to by plane. You can't just kind of get on a major plane. It has to be one of those little puddle jumpers, and you have to go out there. And so quite exciting. I've, I've done two different ministry trips to Alaska, and it is a cool place to minister. But it's actually a hard place to minister. And so pray for them as, as they are gone. Philippians chapter 2, I shared with you a couple weeks ago uh, that this is my favorite passage uh, because it is one of those that God has to continually bring me back to. How many of you would admit that at the core that we are really, 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 really prideful people? That at our core, that we can cover it up. Some of us cover it up with uh, southern genteelness, you know, just... You know, this southern kind of mentality. Hi, y'all. You know. And some of us cover it up with trying to, the manners. Uh, I know I've, I've several times, that, like even at McDonald's, uh, you know, there's this 16, 17 year old girl and I'll say, yes, ma'am, to her. And, well, you don't need to call me ma'am. I said, I'm afraid my dad's going to walk in and kind of correct me if I don't. And it's one of those, so we have a lot of things that we've done to kind of show that maybe we are trying to be gracious people. But at the core, theologically, guys, the Bible makes it very, very clear of what our flesh is, what our base of humanity is, and that is that we are prideful people. And so when Paul is talking to this church, that is a good church, and yet we said that even in that good church, they had some difficulties. They had two ladies that were kind of sparring against each other, kind of arguing back and forth a little bit, and people were starting to take sides, as people do when there's an argument. That Paul challenges not just that Philippian church and not just those two ladies and not just that situation, but he challenges us in humanity with something that is overwhelming. And along with that challenge, he actually gives us also an encouragement. We find all of that in this short little verse of Philippians 2.5. Paul, who is inspired by God, so this is God's word, it's not Paul's word, But Paul's writing it down under the inspiration of God. And he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And we looked a couple weeks ago and we said, okay, there's two parts of this. One part is the the challenge part, to have the mind of Christ. How many of you would think that that is a difficult challenge in your lives, to have the mind of Christ? Have you found just in day in and out to keep, not only have the mind of Christ, but to keep the mind of Christ? That's a, a daily challenging thing. And yet there's encouragement in this verse. It says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, what does he mean by that? That if you are a Christian, if you truly have trusted Christ as your personal Savior, not just if you attend church, not if your mom and daddy were Christians, but if you have personally come to a place in your life when you realized your lostness and you realized that you needed the work of Christ 
to make you right with a holy God, then the Bible says that as a Christian, this mindset that he's just challenged us with is actually already yours in Christ Jesus. That is, you have the ability, you have the opportunity to act in a way. Now you can describe that in a lot of different ways. One of that is, we can describe it as the power of the Holy Spirit of God. One of the things that our theology teaches us is that the minute that we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, what happens? God himself, God himself comes and dwells with us. Is that not overwhelming? I mean, sometimes if you've grown up in the church and you've been going to church for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you know, oh, I already know that. That God himself dwells within you. And that what the Holy Spirit does in our life, he enables us now to this high calling that Christ has given us. And that is to be holy as he is holy. To have the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, the actions of Christ. And so we see in this little verse that, that kind of then precedes what Paul's going to do in describing that there's uh, really two important truths to, to draw out of this. Number one, the first truth is that God has not asked you to be the source of this mindset and, uh, mindset and, and attitude. He hasn't said, okay, I expect you just to kind of you know, bring yourself up and to act this. I want you to be this person who's truly humble. He calls us through that, but not on our own accord. Secondly, that he tells us that God, uh, through Christ, has already demonstrated what this looks like in real life. I don't know if you're more of a theory person or if you're more of a practical person. We have to live in both worlds. There's theory and what should be, and then there's what seems to be actuality. And that's why, I mean, right now, uh, for all the Braves fans, uh, in theory, the Dodgers... And the Braves should have progressed on in the playoff series, in theory, right? Simply because they had better records, they have, you could argue, better teams, and yet neither one of those are now progressing on in the, the National League playoffs. Because there's theory and what looks like right on paper, and then there's actuality. And both of those teams found out, wow, man, the Padres and the Phillies, they're, they're pretty good. They've got this momentum going. We live in this world, guys, and whether it's spiritual things or practical things, we live in this balance between theoretical truth, truth that is theoretical and right and true, and, and yet these things that sometimes kind of throw a, a little bit of a curve. And so what we see here as we begin to get challenged by this is that most of us are going to take one of two approaches. We really are going to kind of just get into the Word and say, okay, God, will you enable me to be like this? Or we will try to do it our own. How many of you have had, had periods and seasons of your life when you've done both of those? When you truly have said, okay, God, only by you and only by your grace and only by your spirit can I live this way and have this mindset? Or those other times that you tried really to make yourself just a better version of the old self? That was never God's way. It's not a better version of you. No, it's a new version of you. That's made possible only by the redeeming work of Christ. Sounds like a little thing. Maybe sounds like a technical thing. But folks, it's the difference between living out this Christian life and just being a more moral person or just trying harder. And I promise you, that's not what Christ has told us here. He's told us that now we are enabled to have the mind of Christ. And yet it seems pretty daunting. Seems pretty overwhelming. I I should before and I saw many of your hands before, how many of you have used a YouTube video of some sort 
to do a task around the house, to fix something, to do something. You know, before you were left with the instructions, or you were left, you know, if you just go back 20 years and something broke in your house, you only have a couple opportunities. One is the instructions, and who could ever make sense of the instructions there, maybe, and then uh, call a a serviceman to, to come and repair that, or to kind of go in blindly and get overwhelmed and frustrated. I was usually that third thing, you know. But now with the YouTube video, how many of you have ventured into areas that you never thought you would have ventured into? Simply because you could sit there and look at the video, and how many of you have gone through one of those videos to fix something, and you paused, and you read, and you paused, and you read, and you just kind of took it step by step. Well, I want you to use that illustration because I think it's a pertinent illustration. We've used it before in a sermon. I think it fits here. Part of what Paul is writing to the church is, look, not only now is this challenge before you to have the mind of Christ, this attitude of Christ, but you're enabled to. And please forgive me, I'm not trying to be cute here, and I'm not trying, but in a way he says, okay, Jesus is kind of like your YouTube video to see how it's done. And for those that are really offended by that, I apologize. But I'm just trying to illustrate. He says, look at the life of Christ and follow his example. And that's what he begins to describe in the verses that follow. He takes a step-by-step of what does this mind look like in Jesus Christ. And look at how Paul describes it. He could have just simply said, have the mind of Christ. And yet, look at the depth of of description that he goes. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Question. Would it been sufficient for Paul? Would you kind of get a direction of how we are to live our lives and how we should be following an example of humility if Paul simply would have said, be like Christ? He could have done that. But for the next three verses, he begins to take us step by step by step as an example. And that's why he says it's kind of like, not trying to be ridiculous and certainly not trying to be offensive, he kind of takes us like we would take this YouTube video and go, okay, first you do this and you take that off of there and then you take the wrench and you do this and we pause and we do that step. And he kind of takes us in verse 6, 7, and 8, kind of step by step, this was the mind, the actions, the heart of Christ. And he takes us through this and this morning we're going to go through that so that we can kind of clearly identify what does this look like in real life? Because we live in a real world that is practical, even though it's kind of based on theoretical truths. And I don't know about you, but I'm more helped with practical than I am with theory sometimes. And so what does he say here? Because here's the, the thing. If we kind of get this, and if we truly, by the Spirit of God, by the power of God, begin to live this way, and we have more and more the attitude of Christ. I tell you, I don't know that there's more of a life-changing thing, except for salvation itself. I don't know that there's something that will change your life, your marriage, your family life, your work life, your church, more than this. Could you imagine 
a church, a workplace, a family reunion where everything was governed by these people had the mind of Christ. Can you even imagine that? That you walked into your workplace the next day and then whether there's five people in that workplace or 500 people and everybody there had the mind of Christ. Everybody there said, you know, no, no, you first. I mean, we'd be stuck at the door because everyone would say, no, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. I mean, it's one of those things, if everybody had this, what an amazing world we would live in. But do we live in that world? But God has called you to be a part of changing the world. Have this mind, this attitude in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Folks, we're born with the nature of sin. And at the foundation of that sinful behavior is pride. A pride that simply says, I want to do it my way. Long before Frank Sinatra kind of comes out and, okay, I did it my way. When we're born, and I've used this illustration a thousand times because I think it's so relevant, that when we're born and take our first breath, we are already a self-consuming people. But, and we're cute. And if you're a grandchild instead of just a child, you're extra cute. But already, even on those first breaths, you, you are a prideful, self-absorbed person. There's not understanding, there's not action. But the nature of that baby, one day old, one minute old, is already self-absorbed. And then we just kind of amplify that as we grow to, uh, bigger and bigger and, and older and older. So what was God's solution to that? Are we just kind of faced with that and this is the penalty of Adam and Eve's sin and now all of us have to face this penalty? In one way we do have to face the penalty, but God gave a solution. And that solution is that God himself clothed himself in flesh and died so that we would have opportunity to have forgiveness of sin. Secondly, he set the example of how to now live that life. And that's what this passage is all about. And so I want to give you three things this morning that are practical in nature, that are from the description that Paul gives about Christ himself. Now, that is your calling. Because a very obvious question from this passage is, what does this attitude look like? Have this attitude, have this mind. In you, which was that you is yours in Christ Jesus. One of the typical questions, one of the obvious questions. Well, what, what does that look like? Let me give you three things of what that looks like, not based on just me kind of guessing, but by what Paul said in this description of Christ. Number one, we find it in Philippians two, verse six and seven. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself. First thing, this attitude of Christ, this mind of Christ, if you're going to reflect the mind of Christ, this is a mind that is not grasping to be filled, but willing to be emptied. How many of you would say that that comes naturally to you? In any capacity of life. You know how God just kind of teaches you? I, I, I call them, you know, sometimes God winks at you and it's a positive thing. Other times it's a little spanking. Has God ever had to spank you before? 
Well, I'm already on, when we were on the cruise, I'm already preparing. I know what I'm preaching the next week. I've already been kind of thinking about it. I know it's about humility. This is the passage that he has just been as a foundation of my ministry. And, And guys, we had just experienced six days, five nights of beautiful creation, best food you can ever imagine. I mean, just the best of the best. It's the day to leave. And if you've ever been on a cruise, it's kind of like an airport, you know, that you can, our airlines, you, you can either take your own luggage or you can put it through the system. And Carly and I have learned over the years, it's always best to just take your luggage and get off the ship. And so we're going to do that. It's 7.30. We're going to go out before everybody else. And there's already probably about 20 people in line. We get off the elevator there and we're going, oh, okay, we're kind of in the back of the line here, 20, 30 people. We go around the corner and we find out that it's not 20 or 30 people, it's about 300 people. And that's okay, you know, we've, we've got all day and so we kind of look there and it's going slow. But it's a good 20, 30 minute process and you're just kind of going. We go around the next corner and finally to where you see the game plate where you're going to walk off the ship and, and, and there's another 100 people. And so all in all, it took about 30 minutes just to kind of go around and go down to deck number four and go off the ship. We get all the way up to where customs is, and then you're about to get on the gangplank and actually go back to parking and, and come home and all that. And these people, these people, <laughs> come out of a hallway there to right where you get off the ship. And they got their luggage, and they got all that. Well, all of a sudden, there was 400 people. No, no, no. <laughs> The end of the line is there. And I was one of those 400 people. And here's what God told me. Bobby, you just, you enjoyed four or five days on the beach. You just ate some of the best food. I was gracious and gracious and gracious and kind and kind and kind. And now you're upset because somebody is going to cut in front of you? Do you see that, guys? Do you see how? And it came quickly, guys. It wasn't, I didn't have to postulate and think, you know, let me kind of determine how I feel about this. The minute that family of four came out with their luggage and we're going to cut in line, oh, we were prepared. We were ready to show them exactly where they belong. Now, here's the other thing. Just when you thought that, man, my pride, my kind of selfishness is here. Then the Royal Caribbean person. Oh, you know, because they see kind of all of us 400 people kind of pointing things out. And he takes that family and he allows them to go in front of everybody else. He says, oh, come right here. Well, my goodness. I'll never go on a cruise of this line again. You know, this mentality, how quickly did it take that mentality after four days, five days of great scenery, wonderful beaches, time with my wife, wonderful meals, how long did it take for the flesh to instantly come back? One second. One perceived injustice. One person perceivedly Breaking the rules. This is us, guys. And maybe you would have been more gracious. Maybe maybe you would have been, oh, come, get in front of me. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) But there was 400 of us that were pointing exactly where we thought and determined they should go. Folks, 
it's not grasping to be filled, but, but willing to be emptied. And yet, how normal is this that we want to be filled? That this is our base orientation. New parents. We have three wonderful, beautiful young little babies in the church. And does this nature just disappear the minute we have children? That, okay, now I just want to be, I want to be a giving person. Or is this nature something that we have to fight about, even as loving parents, that wait, 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 this is mom and dad time, or this is my time, that even when we put love into the picture and we love these children, does the old nature disappear? Or do you have to contend with that old nature on a daily basis? Let me ask you another question. Along with that old nature and that recognition of the old nature that is there, For all of you, when you had your first child and when you've had children, did it seem like you had a new gear to think of them more than yourselves, at least partially? Did it seem like there was at least an opportunity there to be more emptied than willing to be filled? The opportunity was there. Why? Because we love the child. Part of God gave us the ability to create and we would give our lives for that child. So it's not that the old nature just evaporated and was gone, and we never had to contend with the old nature before, but all of a sudden we had something that was new, this love for this child, that we truly would give our lives for. Do you understand that? Because that's important for us to understand in Christianity. The old nature, go read Romans 7. Paul's going, I'm so frustrated. Because he was still contending with the old nature. And yet, Romans 8 is this declaration of life in the Spirit. That's Christianity, guys. That's why when he says, have this attitude in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, he is a, it's a challenge because we're still dealing with this old nature. But at the same time, he says, but now I've given you the ability to think differently. Oh, so, well, you know, man, for this child at least, I am willing to be emptied instead of being filled. And we have a new gear in our life. And that's what happens when we become Christians. It's not automatic, but it's there. That's what Paul meant in verse 5 when he says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's not like all of a sudden we don't have this old nature anymore, but now God's nature gives us the ability to think and, and act differently. This is not a self-improvement course. This is daily dying to self in Christ. So that Christ can show more and more. Now look at verse 7, the second thing. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Second, how do you live this out? Second example. It is not grasping to be served, but willing to serve. How's that one fit? Would you agree that your base nature, your old nature, is one that wants to be served? That you have that. But now Christ is introduced, and in, in as he, the Holy Spirit of God lives, that there's this willingness to serve. Again, we could use parenthood as a great example of that. It's not automatic, but at least opportunity is there. Now look what it says here. Paul says that Jesus took on the form of a servant. It was not forced upon him as though he had no other choice. Did Jesus have to go to the cross? I mean, it was God's will... He knew and he was going to be obedient, but it was, was it one of those things that, 
that if Jesus decided that he just didn't want to, I mean, I think that opportunity was there. And there's a whole theological discussion uh, discussion about the impeccability of Christ, and we can talk about that some other time about the impeccability nature of Christ. Some would say that he could not, because he was God, ever do error. Others would say, well, he took on the form of man. And so there's a long discussion there. Here's the bottom line. Paul says he took on, that he made an active choice to take on the form of a servant. And now he asks us to do the same, not by force, but choosing it on purpose. Third thing, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Third example, what does this mind look like, this attitude of Christ? What it would look like in real life? Whether you're an adult, you're a teenager, whether you're just starting your Christian walk, or you've been walking with Christ for 40, 50 years, here's the example. Christ was not grasping to be obeyed, but willing to be obedient. Is there something within you that wants to be obeyed? As a parent, since we're using parenting as a kid, is there, I mean, have you, even though you swore it off as a kid, I will never tell my kid because I said so. Is it one of those things you find yourself, you know, 20 years later, oh, that just came out. I just told my kid, I want you to do it. Why? Because I said so. And it made perfect sense to your 30-year-old mind. It didn't make too much sense to your 10-year-old mind, but now it makes perfect sense. I am the authority. I, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. Paul says he's not grasping to be obeyed. He's willing to be obedient. Let this attitude, let this mindset, let this thought process exist in your life. And what makes it even more amazing is this purposeful trajectory of this mindset. It is purposely pointing down. Look at verse 6, guys. It starts out in heaven. When he talks about the pre-incarnate Christ, he said that he is God. Is Jesus Christ God? Yes. And he starts with that picture. He is God, but he does not consider, you know, all the claims of God in, in that sense, as far as just everybody, you know, something to be grasped. But he empties himself. It starts off in heaven with the pre-incarnate Christ. And then in verse 7, it plunges down to earth. But he clothed himself in flesh. The incarnate, what we call the incarnation of Christ. Starts in heaven, comes down to earth. Does it end there? Where do we go in verse 8? To the grave. Plunges deeper in the grave, the atoning death of Christ. Was that forced upon Christ? Did Christ have a choice in the matter? He starts off in heaven, comes to earth, and then dies and is buried in a grave. No, this is his attitude. This is his obedience toward the Father. I've come to do the will and the work of my Father. What does that look like? I am God, and now I will clothe myself in flesh and come to this earth. And not only will I come to this earth, but I will go and die and be buried in a grave. Downward. When you get up in the morning, guys, is your first natural thought downward or upward? And what God challenges us with here, hey, you can have this downward because now the very Spirit of God lives within you. 
This isn't a self-improvement course, guys. This isn't three ways to be a nicer person. It's the work of God living actively in our lives. That tomorrow morning, you and I could say, no, the purpose of my calling today is I, I, I want this downward movement. Instead of being filled, which is my natural response, I, I'm willing to be emptied here. Instead of being obeyed, I want to be obedient to the Father. Instead of grasping for everybody to recognize who I am, I, I'm willing to, to, to become the servant. Look what it says, Philippians 2, 6 and 7 again. Who though he was in the form of God, did not account quality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. The Greek there, the construction of that word is that it was an active thing that Christ did. It's not forced on the outside. Let me give you an example of the mentality there. How many of you, if taxes were an option, would pay taxes? Now, some people might say, well, you know, we need police officers and we need this and the other. How many of you would say, you mean I have a choice here? I can either give the government some money or I can keep it for myself. Would that be a challenging thought to you? Especially if you thought that it was kind of excessive. Okay, I'll give this much, but I'm not going to give this much. And if you had a choice in the matter, how many of us would say, you know, I kind of want to serve my own family. You know, baby needs shoes. This is not being forced upon Christ. This is a willingness. This is not him going, you know, should I serve? No, it's his heart. It is a mentality. He is God. And yet God himself takes on this attitude, this mindset. In Psalms 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting you are God. When Jesus came to earth, he was God. John eight fifty eight. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He never shied away. I am God. I'm in flesh. And that's always kind of blown our mind because how can you be fully God and fully man? And yet he is. And John 17, 5 says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence for the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Wow. So you had a glory before the world even existed in in eternity past, you had a glory? Yes, I created everything. Nothing was created without me. And yet now you've come back to this creation, you've clothed down humanity, and and, and you're willing to die? Do you see? Downward, 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 obedience to the Father. And this is the attitude that he says that you and I should have. When every natural inclination for us is to go upward. I've been standing in line for 40 minutes. I'm next off. Every inclination in our humanity is that we deserve this. Are you getting the picture? (laughs) Jesus always existed. He is the full glory of God. Jesus isn't God Jr. He's not a a mini-me form of God. He's not God trying to get his pilot's license. Trying to earn his wings. He's fully God. Hebrews 1.3. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That author in Hebrews tells us in verse 10, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hand. 
So, so we can't use this excuse. Yeah, but Bobby, that would be easy for somebody who's like here or here. But, you know, Bobby, I've kind of attained this certain. No. God himself, holy God, takes on flesh and purposely says that I will take a downward trajectory from heavens to the earth to the grave. Why? To be obedient and to save mankind. This is the attitude that he's called for us to have. Look again at verse 7 as we close. But he'd empty himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Uh, the theological term is the hypostatic union, 100% man, 100% God. But why did he take on the totality of this flesh? Hebrews again, the author in Hebrews gives us a reason. Hebrews 2.17. <coughs> Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Well, why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Why? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Without this, you and I have no hope. Without this downward trajectory of holy God, leaving heaven, clothing himself in flesh, going to a grave, we have no hope whatsoever that we would ever have an upward trajectory. But here's my promise in Christ. I don't know about you, but here's my promise in Christ. I will be trajecting upwards on that day of glory. Because I was a good guy, because I was a pastor, because I did this. No, no, because of Jesus Christ. Have this attitude in yourself. Challenging which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. Jesus didn't have to become more holy. He was already perfectly holy. He didn't have to become more loving. He was already perfectly loving. He didn't have to become more God. He was already fully 100% God. And yet, he had this attitude of downward projector. Now let's conclude. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Here's your challenge for this week. If you just want, you know, knowing that you're going to wake up and you're going to want upward tra- trajectory by nature, just in your human nature, you're going to know that you're going to want that. This is kind of your core being. This is default. How do, how do we kind of combat that? Well, number one, to be in the Word and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just that we possess the Holy Spirit, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. And look what it says here. How do we remind ourselves of that? How do we just kind of get this attitude? Second Corinthians 8 9 is a great place to start. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So we're going to inherit a million dollars? No, it's not that kind of richness. When Jesus is talking to the seven churches, uh, some of us are in discipleship are going through the seven churches right now, and it's amazing. He, he tells this poor church, this church that would not have even, you know, they wouldn't have even known how to get to this church kind of. And he says, though you may be poor, I tell you, you are rich. And they were by far the, the poorest church out of all of them. But why did he say they were rich? Because they were spiritually rich. Because they were reflecting the attitude and the mindset of Christ. This is our calling, guys. 
And it's challenging because we still have to contend with this old nature. But it's encouraging because God himself has said, I will help you do that by my power, by the example of Christ. So like that YouTube video, we kind of watch a little bit and then we do that part and we watch another little part and we take that part off and watch a little bit part more and then we take that and we go step by step and we pause and play and pause and play and pause and play. This is the Christian life. We pause and play looking at the life of Christ and we see the example, we see the attitude and then, folks, by his example, just simply following what Christ would do, we empty ourselves. We, we're more concerned about serving than we are to be served. We're more concerned about obeying God than somebody obeying us. And we take on more and more this attitude of Christ. That's the challenge. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, we thank you today that, uh, Father, Christ has set, Father, the... He's already paved the road, Father. You are not calling for us to just be better people. Father, you're calling for us to be filled with your spirit and live out the calling of Christ in our lives. Father, how challenging that is. And we we can joke about how instantly that comes and we see people getting in front of us in line and we can joke about that and it's maybe a little bit funny, and yet, Father, that just shows that that nature is right there. So, Father, will you help us to accept this challenge, but, Father, to understand that the only way we could ever accept it is to be filled with your Spirit. Thank you for giving the example of Christ. We see it time and time again. Father, we see in Gethsemane that he prays for us. And he's willing to be obedient. Not my will, but your will be done. Oh, Father, give us that heart. Give us that attitude and give us that mind. Even this day, as we pray this in the hope that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.